Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 The Zone. Welcome in on a Friday morning. Uh, I want to say it's a football Friday, and I can't. There's no football. Super Bowl's over. Football is in the books. Here we sit in February, mid-February, and it's going to be mid-August, really, before we get back to football. So, yeah, we got six long months. I mean, we got March Madness. we got the Masters. We've got the start of the baseball season. RSL kicks off Wednesday night in Miami. And we got a lot going on, but we don't have football. So we'll just have to, uh, we'll have to mosey on. Uh, as far as the March Madness goes, man, the Utes are really putting themselves behind the eight ball. They lost at USC, 68-64. The game was a struggle. They played, I thought they played really poorly early, and then it just gets really uphill after that. The, the shot selection early, there was no spark. They were down. They did barely scored out of the gate. And, uh, and, and they came back. They briefly had the lead, but couldn't seal the deal. And a, a big block at the end on a shot that, by Davion Smith driving to the hoop. They could have tied the game up there in the final five seconds. But the shot gets blocked, it goes the other way, and they get a USC gets a dunk, and they get a win. Just their fourth conference win of the year. And they are now out of last place into 11th place. And the Utes, man, for a team on the bubble, losing to USC, that is, that is a, bad, that's a bad one. Now, they can still get a split on the trip, go win at UCLA. Obviously, on paper, that's harder. It's uh, hard times for the Utes, who still, it's just crazy. In the non-conference, they beat St. Mary's. And St. Mary's is leading the West Coast Conference. But the Utes can't beat anybody on the road in the Pac-12. At least not yet. Maybe changes this weekend against UCLA. Another loss last night for the Utah Jazz. I have to say this one looked different. You know, in the previous games, they looked disinterested, not competitive. And in this one, there was a stretch where they played some awfully bad basketball. But they did fight back this time. And down 18 points at the start of the fourth quarter, they rallied and got within one. And a wild sequence offensive rebound, and it ends with Collins improbably throwing the ball over everybody's head. And when I mean everybody, I mean all his teammates, all his coaches, over the head of owner Ryan Smith and up into the seventh row. He had a rebound, and there was a lot of contact, and he was trying to get it out, and they could have called timeout, and Will Hardy later second-guessed himself in the postgame, which saves the rest of us from having to do it, and we were all going to. Um, and ironically, after they had to foul and, and the Warriors hit two free throws, the Jets had to make a three, and they actually got a really good look. Colin Sexton, I mean, he pump-faked and had, a fly, had the defender fly by. He got a great look, but he missed the tying shot at the buzzer. And uh, also Markinum missed a shot uh, that uh, could have given the Jazz the lead. So it's not all on Collins in the past, but that pass, that was something. If you see it, I don't, I don't, I can't remember seeing a pass thrown that far up into the crowd and that far out of bounds. That was, uh, that was something else. Um, but a whole bunch of bad basketball learning in the game to play. They, they lose 140-137. Jazz gave up 120 points in the first three quarters. So... There are plenty of mistakes to be found in the first three quarters. Now they go out on an all-star break, and uh, when they come back, we need to see that level of effort. We need to see that level of intensity. We need to see that level of focus and all those things uh, because it led to entertaining basketball and quality basketball. They put some good hoops in the fourth quarter. Did some 
dreadful stuff in the first half when they gave up 84 points. But, uh, you know, the fourth quarter was much better. So hopefully they're over with the, uh, I don't know, the poor me's or the uh, whining or the feeling sorry for themselves after the trades and get back to playing good basketball. So uh, we'll have the best of the postgame show coming up. Right now, a little BYU basketball. Mark Pope talking Cougar hoops in advance of a game this weekend at Oklahoma State, the last place team in the Big 12. A great chance for the Cougars to get a road win. They've done a good job in Big 12 play. There aren't many teams slotted to miss the NCAA tournament. There are five of them out of the 14. And BYU's done a good job. They're 4-1 and one against those teams. And given how difficult it is to play the top and the middle of the Big 12, you've got to do a good job against the bottom. And uh, so far the Cougars have. Not perfect, but good. And we'll see if they can continue it Saturday. Here's Mark Pope. Jerome Tang said something interesting after yeah. the game last week. He said, it doesn't matter how big of a lead they have in the yeah. they're going to let you back in the game. Yeah. Is there, is there a, a built-in sort of ebb and flow with the kind of offense that you're running and the kind of style you're trying to play where you have to kind of expect that and then figure out ways to get, get, uh, get through it? Um, I, I think uh, we're going to stay aggressive. So... Um, you know, I guess a, a simple kind of cliche deal would be like we're not going to spend a lot of time playing prevent defense, you know, to go Super Bowl. Um, like we want to go play. And so we want to get a lot of possessions. And so a lot of possessions, there can be more variability. Um, we want to use all the space on the floor. And so using all the space on the floor, there can be more variability. So in that sense, yes. Um, um, and, but that's a way that we're really committed to play, and it's been super successful for us. So we're going to kind of keep going that way. I actually don't know how to dig way deeper into it than that, um, about how our style of play fits into that. Um, but but we're actually, you know, if that is a contributor, I'm actually trying to push deeper into that. Like, I'd like to be more committed to staying assertive on the floor all the time. We trust that actually a lot. It was crazy, though. I mean, they, they yeah. were six for 22 from three, and four of those came in the last minute. Yeah, yeah. So it was just kind of a crazy ending anyway. So maybe each yeah. one's a little bit different. I think so. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, when you um, – you know, one of the things that we – remind ourselves all the time because we are a deep dive analytics team um, like our NBA counterpoints really start kind of like trusting the numbers about the all-star break about 40 plus games in and those are longer games with more possessions and you know we're you know our season is over at that point <laughs> and so so um, we're kind of taking it for what we can. Um, we recognize the anomalies that, that happen in the game all the time. And differentiating between anomalies and trends gets more complicated when you have a really small sample size. It just gets less trustworthy. And so, um, you know, we're digging into all the sides of everything we're seeing and trying to pick and kind of pick and choose the data that we think probably has some staying power versus the data that's a little anomalous is complicated. You know, certainly with, with UCF, um, you know, I do think there's a space to think that, you know, that doesn't happen every day. I think that, that might stay in an anomaly category, but there are takeaways for us. There's certainly things that we can learn about the last minute. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about, um, you know, how we, how, how we would approach slowing down the charge, um, um, kind of late game where it's just like you have to play with reckless abandon because you're down and you're just desperation trying. Um, I, I'd never want to model a whole defensive package in that scenario because because it's 
it, it just doesn't happen all the time. But um, certainly we've spent some time considering that and, and um, also considering, you know, how we approach uh, the offensive side of the ball in those situations, although I thought we were really good in that sense. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's all, you know, you kind of go down the rabbit hole with all those things and try and figure them out, and um, it's what makes it fun. With your, the way your offense has had to evolve, yeah. reinvent itself with all these different uh, ways to win, like mm -hmm. you said the other night with free throws, yeah. is that sustainable? Can you keep doing that till the end of the season? And I, I think it's probably necessary. I would actually probably, I would probably um, um, look at it through different glasses, right? I would probably say that in this league, it's probably necessary that you're pretty adaptable to um, kind of grabbing onto the circumstances of the game. One of the things that's interesting about the way we play is um, that we're different than everybody in this league, the, the way we approach the game. And so what we're seeing offensively and defensively is that that our scouts end up being super, like we spend more time guessing because you look at how a team's guarded the last five games, they're going to approach us differently defensively. And you look at a team's attacked offensively, sometimes they're actually attacking us different offensively than what we see on film all the time because we're kind of like out there a little bit hyperbolic by design. And so... Um, you know, I think for us, that just increases the requirement for adaptability. You know, we used to walk into a game for like, ah, you know, just on a simple level. Like we have a, you know, we have a good sense of how they guard ball screens, for example. And then like, man, we've, we, the film has lied to us a bunch this year. And so we, we're, you know, one of the nice things is having a, you know, having a little bit more veteran team um, um, is our guys are pretty adaptable through the course of the game. And, and, and um, so, long answer to your question, um, I think we're going to have to be really malleable as we go through this, especially as we start seeing these teams for a second time where they've kind of got one look at us and now they're getting a second shot at how we do it different. And it's, it's really fun in this league to kind of look at coaches' answers and see where they want to take their team because it's, 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 um, these are great coaches in this league. It's been super fun. Do you envision that being something, an identity of your program beyond this year, like big picture, like being the team that's just kind of a completely different style than everyone else? I like it. I actually dig it. Um, I, I think it, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's good, but I, I think it makes it so fascinating. Like this, 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 we're winding our way through this conference season. Every game is so fascinating to me. It's so fascinating to see how teams come out at the beginning of the game and how they adjust uh, throughout the game. And, and um, I don't know, I like, I like living on the edges because it's, um, it just pushes everybody to be a little bit more creative and a little bit more decisive in what they're trying to do. It's, it's fun. I wanted to ask you about this week's opponent, uh, Oklahoma State's got a big Garrison freshman. Yeah. Like, where does he stack up? I mean, you know, you're yeah. talking about big, man. Where, yeah. where, where does he stack up in the hierarchy of these big 12 bigs? I think he's really special. He's really special. Um, you know, his, his ability to protect the rim, his ability to run the floor, his ability to kind of change coverages uh, defensively and guard multiple positions. Uh, his, his touch around the rim is actually pretty special, out to 15, 17 feet. Um, he's got a good sense. You know, sometimes – if you take bigs out of the post where they can feel a body and you start start to put them in the high post or in the middle of a zone or in a short roll, 
where they don't have that contact, especially young bigs, sometimes they get really uncomfortable. He doesn't. He's just like, yep, I'm good. You know, he's got a calmness about him. I think he's really, really impressive. Um, and I think they got a, uh, you know, they got a rising star in their hands. I think he's going to be really special. Second game now, a line of switch, I believe. How are you liking the combination of Jackson and Fuse off the bench? Um, I, I like it. Um, you know, we probably end up changing 10 more times before the end of the season, but um, let's hope we play that many games. Um, but um, I, I like it. Our guys, you know, we um, – um, it's been nice that uh, I, I, got, I have to believe we started more different lineups than any team in the Big 12. Is that possible? Tice. You're up there. Yeah, I'm testing him every <laughs> press conference. And, I'm, 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 um, and what's been nice for us is it's been relatively seamless. It's involved a lot of stress and duress on our side, but the guys' performance has been really good. And so... Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a good fit. I think um, our guys like it. I think they're happy with it. And so, like I said, we'll, uh, I, you know, I'd expect probably changes as we move forward just because the game requires it. But but I, I think it's been solid for us. Ali had touched on that as well in the interview before. He had said that's what makes this team so difficult to scout. Yep. He can start food to scout, yep. you know. Why is this team so difficult to scout? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that, that in that sense, um, you know, our misfortune has been our blessing too, right? And um, and hopefully it'll pay dividends as we go through the season. You know, you'd like to argue that you know since we've had uh, you know so many changes um, that the guys are accustomed to it, and so as they come in the future, we'll be ready to go. But, you know, we have to prove that. We have to prove that it has any value, and hopefully we'll be able to do that. How, how is, uh, I just want to see, if, I know it's a personal deal for him, but how is Marcus Adams doing? If there's an update you can give, maybe yeah. how he's going through his situation right now. Yeah, as you can imagine. I mean, there's no words, right? It's um, it's just brutal. Um, but he's with his mom and his and his brother, and, and uh, they have a close circle of uh, support people around him. And, and um you know, it's hard to say more than that, just in the sense of like, how do you describe a, you know, a tragedy like that? So it just is, it is what it is. Uh, you know, he's, um, he's, he's planning to get back here soon. They're trying to take care of a couple of things uh, through the end of this week. And, and, um, and then it'll be, you know, kind of bouncing back and forth as need be. You've played trade quite a, yeah. 10 minutes the last few years. What does he bring? What do you like? What have you seen from him that's uh, changed you guys a little bit? Yeah, he's, you know, he's bringing terrific energy. Um, he's he's uh, bringing a real positive. In a, in a, like, I mean, this game is an energy game. Like, the game kind of feeds off energy, and I think he's been great that way. Um, you know, he's... Um, uh, he, he has a capacity to cover a lot of ground on the floor, which really helps us. Um, um, you know, he still has a, t- a ton of game inside him um, as he keeps growing. But, uh, you know, it's helped us uh, manage uh, foul situations and fatigue situations and energy situations on the floor. And and um, I think it's a, it's a good vibe. Um, you know, um, he's one of the important pieces of this team. There's BYU basketball coach Mark Pope. A reminder, DJ and PK proudly presented by Murdoch Hyundai, Utah's number one Hyundai dealer for 18 years in a row. When we come back, the best of the jazz postgame show. Stay with us.
Good morning, TJ and PK. It's 97.5 The Zone. The Utah Jazz lose at home to the Golden State Warriors. A dreadful week. A loss to the Warriors, a loss to the Lakers, a loss to the Warriors. Jazz two and a half games out of a play-in spot. They did play better basketball. The fourth quarter was exciting. For more on the game and what went wrong at the end, and what went wrong in the first half when they gave up 84 points, here's the best of the postgame show. All right, this is your Jazz game recap. Final one right before the All-Star break the jazz last night falling 140 to 137 in one of the more entertaining basketball games that you will ever see both teams shooting insane from beyond the arc how about the jazz 22 for 49 and the warriors 20 for 42 and steph curry was having an off night the guy only hit two of them so this jazz basketball team going into the break with the loss but still a lot of positives coach will hardy after the game talking about this team and what they did in that loss just my three points of the warriors in and battling and um, the comeback that we made at the end obviously coming up short doesn't feel good but um, you know for the majority of our game the the defense just wasn't physical enough um, we did a poor job of understanding body position um, off the ball we got back cut way too much um, you know, I think overall we did a pretty good job on Steph, but, um, you know, Clay Thompson got away from us a little bit, especially in the second half. Um, you know, he made some tough ones. I thought Chris did a pretty good job pursuing him and trying to speed him up, but, you know, Clay's a hell of a player. And, um, you know, it wasn't the jump shots that bothered me as much as the the back cuts for layups um, and us being too spread out defensively. Um, you know, offensively, I thought our team played well the entire game. Um, you know, we had, you know, Lowry probably had a one of his worst shooting games since he's been here in Utah, um, but continued to fight and battle. Keontae and Colin were both um, really, really special on the offensive end tonight. Colin did a great job driving. Draws a lot of contact, got himself to the free throw line a lot. And obviously, Keontae, um, you know, tonight was probably his sort of coming out party in terms of being an off-the-dribble three-point shooter. I think we saw tonight what I've been seeing and we've been seeing behind closed doors in terms of his ability to get those shots off in a variety of ways. Um, you know, the end of the game, obviously chaotic, down one. Um you know, they had a lot of their offensive-minded players still on the court. And so we elected to not take time out. And I thought Keontae did a good job getting downhill, um, you know, against Clay Thompson, found Lowry in the corner. And then when John got that offensive rebound and pivoted out, um, you know, I thought the ball was going out to Colin at the top of the key. And that's not the way that it worked out. Um, so I'll get to spend the next five days thinking about if there was a half second there that I could have called timeout um, on the offensive rebound. But, um, you know, in terms of the initial part of the situation, I'm not going to call timeout there, especially if that's the lineup that they have on the floor. I mean, you guys saw at the end when we did take timeout to do our uh, need three play, you know, they made some substitutions and brought in guys like Gary Payton and, um, you know, playing against an unset defense in that situation is something that we work on a lot as a team. So I felt good about that part. Um, you know, just a, a, a tough finish, but I thought, you know, the, the fight and the spirit of the team was there. 
speaking of the Keontae, the Keontae three-point shooting, how much have you guys yeah, been talking to him about being aggressive and taking that shot? And uh, how often do you want him to take it, or how green is his light to take that shot? Um, I could make a comment about your sweater <laughs> in terms of how green uh, his light is. It's uh, I want Keontae to shoot as many of those pocket threes as he can find, um, especially against switching. It's a real weapon when teams switch because if the switch isn't perfect and aggressive, I mean, Steph Curry's made a living on that shot. Guys like Damian Lillard, um, Trey Young, you think of like point guards that shoot a lot of threes off the bounce. Um, teams have tried to switch them for years. And if you're good at seeing that pocket and finding that three, um, it's tough. And I think it, it also will bring into play the burst that Keontae has playing downhill because people will start moving up the court towards him. Um, he's worked on it a lot. He's watched a lot of film on it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good sign to see a game like that where he found it over and over and over again. Um, you know, it's something that we hope we can continue with him. You mentioned not liking the defense for most of the night. Um, didn't prove after 84 points allowed in the first half, it was 56 in the second, 20 in the fourth. Were there signs of progress that you can point to down the stretch? Yeah, I think down the stretch, we saw the guys not guarding Stephen Clay doing a better job of shifting and showing a crowd and protecting the basket. Um, the people on Stephen Clay did a better job of being underneath them and forcing them out towards the perimeter. I know it sounds. Um, it sounds weird to say you want to send those two guys towards the perimeter, but um, ultimately how they end up killing you is cutting layups. Um, those two guys have seen almost every coverage known to man, um, and they still find a way. You know, tonight they got off 21 threes between the two of them, and it's not like taking away their three is not part of the game plan, but... Um, you can't take away everything, and they do a really good job of cutting and um, creating layups. So I thought down the stretch, we did a better job as a team of not giving up as many plays at the rim. That's head coach Will Hardy. Let's hear from John Collins, who had that errant pass at the end of the game. No, I just got the rebound. There was a lot of swiping hands, uh, crowded. Didn't know uh, what decision I should make offensively, so I tried to just pass the ball and ended up throwing a fireball into the crowd. So... Stuff happens. We saw you beating yourself up on the court very quickly, though. Colin came over and was like, your hype man. How meaningful is that to have a guy call and be like, no, we're good? You know, um, not to say that I wanted it, but I almost sort of expected it. That's just who the, the kind of nature Colin is and the teammate he is, uh, trying to just pick me up and obviously understand that we have some second half to compete in this game. So uh, it's my brother, so I appreciate him always. What can you say about Keontae? Man, uh, a game from the Rook tonight. Um, really showed out. Uh, really, really confident in his shot, and uh, we all know he's capable of that. So we want to see more of that. But it's just always nice to see Keontae play well. He, he works hard. He deserves it. Taves through that fourth quarter seemed for a lot of the game like you guys were, you know, having defensive issues, trailing quite by quite a bit, and then in 12 minutes it seemed to really kind of turn around pretty fast. Yeah, it's winning time. Fourth quarter's winning time. Uh, you know, in, in, in a bad way sometimes the fourth quarter sort of wakes us up from the, the lull of the, the, the first three quarters and try to make a, a push to win the game. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. No problem. 
That's head coach Will Hardy. Let's hear from John Collins, who had that errant pass at the end of the game. Uh, shot was falling. Uh, I mean, being aggressive, that was the main thing. Um, you know, Will harps on me a lot about, you know, taking the right shots, taking open shots. Uh, you know, I work on every shot that I took today, so it's just about trying to find um, a rhythm. Um, so that's what happened tonight. Will said that this was like your coming out party as an off-the-dribble three-point shooter. Would you agree with that? Uh, I mean, I would say so, just because of, you know, the amount of shots that I hit. Um, uh, I would definitely agree with him, um, just how aggressive I was, how intentional I was, um, every possession down the floor, um, you know, trying to impact the game, impact winning. Um, so I would definitely agree with him, uh, you know, coming out party for me. As good as you were offensively, it seems like the most fired up we saw you was that defensive sequence against Steph. Take us through just what's going through your head there. Yeah, we needed to stop. Um, you know, I know um, I was just trying trying to find any way to, you know, not let Steph um, get loose. Um, just like last game, you know, we kind of um, did his thing and it's on the fourth and kind of put us away. So that was the main thing that was going through my head. Just don't let that happen again. Um, I mean, physical play, um, you know, I'm a rookie. He's been in the league for a long time. So, of course, um, you know, whistle may not go my way. Um, but just trying to fight, trying to be physical, um, you know, put it out there that I'm not, you know, going back down. Um, so, ultimately, just trying to get a stop. You're getting a quick turnaround, but how much are you looking for, forward to things tomorrow? I'm excited. I'm really excited. Um, I got all, I got a lot of close friends that's going to be out there. Um, um, I mean, just going to be around a lot of um, great talent. Um, elite level talent for sure um, and just trying to you know soak it all in um, forget to be around you know um, you know the all-stars try to pick their brain try to um, try to learn um, this weekend you know show my face um, you know grow my brand um, that's the main thing about this weekend after being down d- double digits in this second half you guys look like you're gonna pull that thing out yeah, man, we just got to, you know, we tr- tried to, we string some stops together. Um, shots started to find a Larry, started to find a rhythm. Um, Colin, I mean, downhill, found a rhythm. I mean, uh, we was clicking on all cylinders. Um, you know, of course, um, you know, it didn't go our way, but um, the way we played in that second half is, you know, how we should start the game from start to finish. We need to play like that for, you know, all 48. Um, you know, if we play like that, um, you know, we're a very tough team to beat, um, especially at home. So. We just got to keep building. There is the best of the postgame show. When we come back, Brendan Quinn from The Athletic joins us. He's written a story on basketball at BYU, where it's been, where it's going, where it might be going, some of the inherent contradictions, some of the challenges. Really interesting piece. Brendan Quinn, next. DJ PK and Brendan Quinn joins us. He writes about college basketball and golf for The Athletic. He's currently at Riviera with the PGA Tour there. Final stop on the West Coast Swing. Florida's coming up. Brendan, good morning. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Riviera, good work if you can get it, right? Not bad. <laughs> not, not bad. Not bad, especially when you live in Detroit. Uh, a nice trip to Riviera in, uh, in mid-February is, is, a, is a nice nice scam. <laughs> uh, we want to have you on because you got a big story on The Athletic about BYU basketball. And frequently when you start writing those stories, well, you know a lot of stuff, and that's why you want to write it, because you want to tell that story that you know to a wider audience. But frequently you also learn new things along the way. So how much did you know and what did you learn as you uh, got ready to write this article on, on BYU making the move to the Big 12 and recruiting all over the world? Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I would say I knew a fair amount about the, the school and the church affiliation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, what, what really interested me from the onset in kind of diving into BYU was um, just watching them play. And, and there was a, I don't know if you guys saw it, but uh, Jordan Sperber, who's a great um, kind of online analyst, uh, put together a uh, film clip of uh, the kind of really picked apart BYU's offense and how they use fake handoffs and all this stuff and just kind of really got into the, the nitty-gritty of, of why they are so efficient offensively. And it's just beautiful basketball. You know, I mean, they run such great offense. It's so much fun to watch, especially when they have – Ali Khalifa in the, in the high post and a running offense through him. It's just like it's a really fun brand of basketball. And that's what kind of spurred me to say, well, let's go, let's go figure out, like, you know, what is, um, what's the team about and, and how did this all kind of come to be? And then the story kind of just took on a life of its own from, from there and diving into, you know, three, um, three Muslim players and the roster construction, et cetera, et cetera. And then it kind of turned into, well, let's try to explain to a broader audience who might not really understand the school and what the, you know, what the, the contours that kind of come with trying to, trying to construct a roster. Um, and then the, the overriding element of moving to the big 12 and now complain, competing in the best conference in college basketball. Was the idea for the story since you were coming out to L.A. anyway, stop in Provo? Is that how it came about? No, no, no. This was a this was a one off trip. I I uh, I was actually there. Um, it was like January twenty first to the twenty fourth. I was there for the Houston game. Oh, okay. So right after right after the loss to Texas Tech, um, that was on a Saturday. I was in in the office with Mark Pope that Sunday, the next day. And, you know, campus was pretty empty. No one was in the basketball office. It was just he and I sitting in the office for, for about two hours and, uh, and kind of went from there and went to the, the Houston game that night was the first time I had seen a game at Marriott. And uh, that was awesome. You know, the, the energy was off the charts. And then uh, got out of there the next day. Obviously, BYU is different, but obviously this era of college basketball is different. There's more international talent than ever before. The transfer portal has guys moving around and coaches quickly having to rebuild rosters. How similar is this new era? How similar in this new era is BYU doing to what everybody else is doing, and how much is it still very different than what everybody else is doing? Well, I mean, I, I feel like it's still relatively early in, in the era, and that's mm-hmm. kind of one of my big questions is, you know, it, it's one thing to try to build a roster in, in the WCC. Um, you know, this is the first year in, in Big 12, and, it, the, the, you know, college basketball as a whole is older. College basketball as a whole is now just so transient, and, and BYU has – like this, they, their model that's always been in place there of, of return missionaries and you know trying to find a couple players that still fit. Like, how does that work in an era where you know I remember being in coaches' offices five, ten, fifteen years ago, where they would have the charts up of their scholarship players 
two, three, four years out, and it would be for recruiting, right? So they would have these charts of, you know, their freshmen would then on the fourth panel would be listed as seniors and how many open scholarships did you have. That's all out the window. Now it's just totally year to year. And, you know, when, when you're living in this world and you, you have to recruit, you know, certain types of players and you're just more confined to what you can reasonably do and the number of players who would be interested in doing that, um, how does that jive? I don't know. Um, I mean, BYU's obviously had some success with, with transfers, you know, well before the transfer portal era. And even on the current roster, you know, Jackson Robinson um, coming in and, and taking on the role that, that he's taken. And, uh, you know, the, the Adams kid you haven't seen, but is going to, you know, potentially play a part. Um, but what you're seeing right now is, you know, upwards of 70% of scoring leaders in, in, um, you know, leading conference uh, scoring leaders are now transfers. You know, it used to be 20% were transfers. Um, is This is a world where you're going to see majority rosters that are transfer players. And, you know, BYU is a place where I just don't know if it ever gets there in that way. So, um, I don't know. It's going to be what they make of it. I think it's, an, it's a really fascinating uh, – the word that they use with tension – which as a writer is like, that's what you're looking for. Um, and, and there's a ton of it there for sure. Yeah. And also too a quote that caught my eye, you quote uh, Keith Vorkink who and BYU, they have a lot of layers of bureaucracy uh, and mm-hmm. Pope reports to him rather than reporting directly to the athletic director, which is usually right. the case. So they have an extra person in there and, it's always been a sore point for some people, but that's the way BYU does it. And you got him with a quote that, uh, and you set it up nicely, uh, and, I, and I like how you do it because you, you quote Khalifa, who's, I knew nothing about the Mormons, but once this Big 12 I was in, and, you know, I don't know how much you knew about the Mormons, but it's clear you picked up on it because it says going in on, mm-hmm. this, is, this is your own writing, going in on all sports is a great marketing play for the faith, but not if it con- conflicts with the divine mission. And the quote is, with our leadership, there's absolutely awareness of what's at stake, and I think there's hope, but wariness. The reality is if things remove... So far, in a certain direction, we're out. We have to be able to achieve our objectives in order to be in athletics. Well, BYU fans, wait a second. If things move in a certain direction, because things are moving in crazy directions, we're out. You know what I mean? And uh, we've all been in sports media for a good long while, and the stuff we've seen the last few years has just been sort of crazy for sure. Uh, What did you take from that? Do you think that was sort of a – uh, just like a, a let's do lunch with no real meaning or, hey, mm-hmm. if things continue to go, this is serious and we're going to get out. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the big question because for me and like one of the, the kind of unanswered questions that I left with is like, what's the line and how willing or how close are you willing to get to it? <laughs> you know, um, like I, I almost no one would come out and say anything like to the extent of like, Look, there would never be a scenario of a roster being majority non-LDS, right? Like, is that a line? Like, is there a, does a world exist where there would be um, a basketball roster, for instance, that was majority non-LDS players? And, like, no one would answer that question. And, you know, I think theoretically that could be something that you're like, you might have to get there if you're going to live – 
in this Big 12 world and this transfer portal era? And what are you doing about NIL? Um, all these things. So, like, what are the lines of demarcation that church leadership has of, like, we won't go past this? And, you know, do those lines exist? I imagine they do. I don't know what they are. I, always, I think folks out there would probably be far more um, intelligent about that uh, than I am. But um, to me, that was just my general sense that there are just like some things that will not happen. And if those things will not happen, can you still compete? Um, because you're going out and you're playing NCAA tournament teams every single night. And this is, the, this, is what you, this is what you wanted, right? When you join the Big 12 and you don't want to be left behind in college sports, um, like it was a major coup to get that spot in that conference that a lot of other places would have killed for. Go talk to Memphis, you know? Um, you know, places that were desperate to get in that conference. Um, BYU got it because it has a massive audience. It's a big brand. People know it, um, and it competes. So, but but now that that comes with evolution and 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 change in theory, and and taking the next step that other places are are willing to do. And you know, there's for instance, like I mentioned, I live in Detroit. You know, University of Michigan has really really strict enrollment issues for for um for transfers especially people who've been in college three four years and what credit credits transfer and and they're not willing to break from that and it's killing them in the transfer portal they're just not being able to get certain kids they missed on caleb love because of it they missed on Karen shannon because of it and like you know the school is now in this push pull i feel like byu is that multiplied by many many times I don't know that you have it, given what you just said. I don't know if you have any insight into this question, but we've heard so much from schools about the student athlete, and it looks like big time football, and it remains to be seen, it certainly remains to be seen with basketball, but big time football is going to a place where the top two leagues are going to have employees and maybe employees who don't go to class. I would lean towards it's going that way, but we'll see, and, and we'll see how quickly. Does that sound like a line that BYU would be willing to cross or not? Do you have any feeling on that? My guess would be no. I mean, just just based on my my time there and speaking to people about academics and their schoolwork and things like that, and like it, it is taken pretty seriously, far more seriously than at a lot of places that I visited, where it's you know it's it's incidental, it's stuff kind of in the background of yeah class and whatever, and we're going to make sure that. You know, every, everyone's eligible. Let's just say that. You know, <laughs> the days of being ineligible are over. Um, and, I, I mean, BYU, based on the, the, my time there, it seems like it's still very much you are in class, you are taking tests, you are not missing this. You know, there are it, – it's taken pretty seriously. So, um, I, I think – I, I don't know if a – you know, these, these football programs are always still going to be tied to the colleges that they are affiliated with, right? Um, and, and it is one of the bizarre, you know, constructs of collegiate athletics. Um, and you're just kind of like, why? But it's just evolution. No one would have set it up this way in an, if we were starting over. But um, this is what it is. These schools are always going to pretend that it's part of their identity and in, in, in academic level. Um, but it's kind of a front, so it's a front for, for making money. Uh, does, how does BYU live there? I don't know. Um, probably uncomfortably, I would guess. <laughs> 
Yeah, I find your comments to be very perceptive for a, you know, a so-called outsider because you got in there and you really covered the stuff A to Z. You did a great job on the story. I've got it in front of me, obviously. And uh, you bring up how uh, a couple years back, whenever it was, that they started, I think, the four or, f- or five non-LDS guys, four African-Americans, I think it was. Uh, and, you know, that has always been an issue there, obviously. And mm-hmm. a lot of folks celebrated the diversity of it. But I had one who st- the person is still employed by BYU um, say, well, what happened to the days where we had LDS guys and that's what we were doing and we had return missionaries because that's who we are. Where are we going with this? And so, you know, it was, it was great to see in, in some respects, but then are we going to the expense of not recruiting the bread and butter and the reason why the institution exists in the first place. So it's an interesting dynamic because in order to compete at the high level, which the Big 12 obviously is, you're going to need these basic, you know, just non-LDS guys because the fact is, there's I don't think there's enough LDS guys who would come to BYU and be a big-time competitive program in this conference so i personally like what pope's doing because i want to talk about winners it makes uh makes it more fun but there is that dynamic and how were you able to sense that just in the short time that you were on campus talking to these people because i think it's your, your perception of the whole thing and your instinct is really phenomenal on it you could just kind of feel this tug of war where you know okay this is a, it's a university built by the faith for the faith and that means offering opportunities to church members right so like you said you know that part of this program existing is as a place for returned missionary athletes who want to go to college and and play at a high level and play collegiate sports does that have to be at the absolute highest level you know i don't know that's kind of in the eye of the beholder but um you know that is the that is the intent is to be a place for those members of the faith at the same time being out there i really came to kind of uh, more readily understand that athletics at byu is as much about brand recognition and marketing and you know it is it's almost modern missionary work of getting the word out and getting the name of the school out there and having you know that one person out there say hey what's this place about look into it and maybe they you know find inspiration or whatever um you know that's not for me to say and you know i I tried to take the faith element as much on uh without putting any of my thoughts and you know that's that's not wasn't part of the story at all so that that stayed out of it it was but to me that's kind of this tug of war that i could feel is Okay, so if you want to use athletics as a as a marketing brand, for lack of a better term, um, well, then you need to win, and to win, you need the best players. And are you able to get the best players within the confines of of LDS athletes being um, the majority of your rosters? That's hard, and it's and it's only gets harder as more time passes. And you're right, you know, they're not the only school out there willing to take these guys. You know, I mean, Oregon was all over the Chandler kid and. Utah was on the Chandler kid, and um, yeah, yeah, right, right. You know, if anyone, yeah. if any, if, if anyone's good, they're going to be recruited. Yeah, for you sure. Know, it's not just some pipeline for BYU. No. So, um, 
that, that, that those two things, I don't know how they can operate uh, concurrently. So I figure the way you say the word basketball, you've got to have some Northeast in your background. Am I correct? <laughs> I'm from Philadelphia. I went to St. Joe's, St. Joe's, which actually played the first game in the Marriott Center. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Not how about with, that? Fun fact. Not with Phil Martelli or Jameer Nelson. <laughs> uh, Jameer was a year ahead of me. Yes. Yes. That was, uh, that was my junior year when they went 27-0. Uh, and uh, I remember all of it and I remember none of it. So how, how much time did you spend in Ocean City, New Jersey in the summer? Uh, fair amount. I, I was more of a Seattle guy, but I got it in in Ocean City for sure. There you go. I spent a lot of time there growing up. I grew up in New Jersey myself. Outstanding. So as a Detroit yeah, guy, I, 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 as a Detroit guy, are you going to follow the tour to Florida, or is uh, the is LA the end of the gravy train? Well, I got to go back to hoops now. Um, so going back to Detroit after this and then uh, a couple weeks of, of writing work and then I head to Arizona to check in with uh, a Final Four contender for a couple days, go see what's happening with Tommy Lloyd and the boys, and then I will be off and running for conference tournaments, three weeks for the NCAA tournament, and then to Augusta for the Masters. Well, I graduated from ASU, so light up the cats for me, okay? <laughs> I'll, see what I, I'll see what I can do. What's going to happen with Bobby Hurley? Is he, is he the coach at Arizona State next year, or does he take the the happy parachute to DePaul or something like that? I think he's probably going to do enough down the stretch to where they want him back, but they they got to get the athletic director. I mean, he's been there 10 years, mm-hmm. which is far longer than most of them, and I, and, I ta- and I know some people there, and they said he's got a halfway decent recruiting class coming in. So my thought is stay. He got an extension last year. I think there's probably at least enough money in that to stick around. Um, the school probably doesn't want to do the buyout. And I'm convinced he has no interest in coaching in the same league as, as his, brother. his brother. Yeah. So, right. If, if, if DePaul's the only offer, I don't see him jump in anywhere. But, you know, who knows what else opens well, up. As long as Herm Edwards is not allowed within 500 miles of the state of Arizona, I'm okay. <laughs> Enough. All right, well, we'll read your stuff, and we'll see if we can get any more on how Arizona lost a quarter of a billion dollars and how that's going to impact the basketball program and athletic department, <laughs> if at all, because that's a one-of-a-kind story you can only get by going to Tucson. <laughs> well, I don't know if people will be quite as readily available to uh, to talk about that one. Yeah. Um, but I, I do hope to cross paths with, with BYU, because I will say there are there's still so much in the notebook there of – of some individual player stories that it is a fascinating collection of guys um, that, that Mark Pope has, has role in there. And uh, they're good. I think they got, I think they should have very real second weekend aspirations um, in this, in this NCAA tournament. We appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, Brendan. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Brendan Quinn, college basketball and golf writer for the athletic joining us from Riviera and the LA open. And talking about BYU, the big story he wrote in The Athletic. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.